0: Hey there, I'm Ant Morehouse and welcome to the Antitoxin Podcast. The Antitoxin is designed for the professional who has ticked all the social norm boxes but feels like something is missing, the entrepreneur at risk of losing perspective, and the dreamer who wants to turn their epic idea into reality. Join me and my awesomely authentic and vulnerable guests as we explore how to avoid living lives of quiet desperation and instead, aim to achieve what I call the triple crown of having a fulfilling professional life while doing some good in this world, while having a hell of a lot of fun along the way. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to The Antitoxin. My guest today is Susie Cardwell-Reinhardt, and her story is insane. I've known Susie for a long time. She's a beautiful friend of of mine and my family's, and she's an incredibly accomplished educator and like wife and mother and humanitarian and professional and runner, and she almost died after being diagnosed with an incredibly rare and very complicated tumor right up the top of her neck into kind of where the neck meets the head. This tumor was pressing up against and sort of wrapping around her spinal column. She was given three months to live. Somehow she survived. And she's coming out the back of that with this incredibly authentic and strong voice. And she's on a mission and she's just written a beautiful memoir and in this episode, she kind of takes us through that journey, her personal journey, but also her discovery of of her voice and the process of writing this book and how she's kind of protecting herself from that whole external kind of pressures around launching a book and dealing with the, the success or failure and how to kind of protect herself from that. It's a Yeah, she's an incredible woman and I really hope you take something out of this episode. Susie, thank you so much for coming on to the Antitoxin. I'm super excited to have you here. How are you doing?
1: Doing great, and I am super excited to be here. Thank you, Anne.
0: <laughs> so we're going back to about, I think, late October, 2018. You know, I said, Susie, I need to catch up for lunch. Uh, we're in Boulder. And we we caught up at this little Thai restaurant, and I said, Susie, I'm about to leave Boulder. I'm on my way back to Australia. I think I've found my voice. Like, I think finally I've found something that I want to talk about, but I, I don't really know how and and I don't really know the context. And, you know, I was thinking maybe it's like a blog. And then I kind of had this sneaky thing that maybe it's a podcast, but I wasn't sure. And ultimately I didn't know what the purpose was. And we sat down over lunch and you asked me this question, which was what breaks your heart the most? And when I thought about it, I instantly thought about this Thoreau quote, which is sort of now the whole, like, premise of this project, which is, you know, around most people live lives of quiet desperation, and and that's what broke my heart. And so in that lunch, what you did was kind of unlocked the true purpose of this, and that's super cool. Thank you. But then it's super exciting to then be able to kind of have you on as a guest, like, what are we at? Sort of six months down the track. And uh, yeah, it sort of a, almost brings like a conclusion to to phase one of this of this project. So thank you, Susie.
1: Oh, and look at that. Look what you've done. You did it.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's fun. So you have a book that literally, I think, went live two days mm-hmm. ago. And it's amazing for me and my family and sort of because we kind of feel like we've been on this journey with you. And it's a truly epic journey, you know, we talk about like authenticity and vulnerability. I mean, you are that personified. So tell us the story. Mm.
1: Well, I think like all of us, I honestly grew up thinking that if I got great grades and if I won all the races on the track and if I, you know, did everything right and got the awards and the internships and the jobs, then I would be happy. But what I found was that I was doing all those things and running myself so low that I was getting sick and getting sick a lot. And then finally, I got really sick. And what happened in um, 2016 was that I was diagnosed with a rare tumor that was wrapped around my brainstem and vocal cords. And the doctors gave me three months to live. This came out of nowhere. I was a a runner. I ran um, ultra marathons and often did quite well in them and even podiumed in many. And so I had this sense that I was a healthy, strong mother of two and that nothing could stop me. And yet something was very clearly trying to stop me. So for me, my journey of trying to understand what really mattered in life and where I wanted to put my attention began with a death sentence, which is funny because we all have that. We all know we're going to die. But it took something big to stop me in my tracks and really look at how I had been living my life, striving, perfecting, proving, pleasing, and not really doing what my heart wanted to do, which was right. So I'll just tell you one more quick part of this story, which was when I got the diagnosis, I was supposed to go camping with my family. And I wanted to go with them. I wanted to be with my family and in a beautiful place surrounded by wildflowers. But something told me that I needed to spend time alone and go in. So I spent at least 48 hours, probably 72 hours alone in my bedroom. And I, um, I tried to meditate and I tried to write and I tried to digest what I had just learned, but all that kept coming to me was these really scary thoughts. And all they said were, you will die young and without a voice and your children will grow up without a mother. And when I felt those things, I did not know how to move forward. And yet when I realized that I couldn't actually feel this tumor that was wrapped around my brainstem and my vocal cords and that the only suffering I really felt was the pain of these thoughts that were telling me all of these horrible things about my life and my death and my children's lives. So what happened was that I, I lay there and I tried to find the tumor and when I couldn't find it, I tried to understand where my suffering was coming from and I realized that it was just all in my head and that I had spent too much time in my head. And that was there a coincidence that this tumor was actually wrapped around my vocal cords where maybe instead of wondering like, when will this tumor take my voice? When did I let it go? When did I stop saying what I wanted to say and do what I wanted to do in order to please others or be the leader and the mother that I thought I was supposed to be? There you go.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, the insaneness of the story is so much around like that. This particular tumor, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, this particular tumor is so aggressive, and the the experts couldn't believe that you could talk. They couldn't believe that you could walk, let alone that you could run, let alone that you know whatever. Like a month or so before, you'd won a really competitive ultra marathon, and. And I was in that race and I remember seeing you in this, I think it was about a 50-kilometer kind of 35-mile race through the Rocky Mountains and I saw you only once and you were coming up this hill and I was coming down this hill. I'm like, Susie, hey, how you doing? Because I'm just trying my best, like very much, you know, back of the pack sort of stuff and you were on a mission and I knew you were a good runner. I had no idea how good a runner you were. And I said, Hey, how, how far have we got to go? And you just, you were gone. And then I realized how far I had to go. It was like 10 miles, 15 miles. I mean, that's how far ahead of me you were. And then, you know, I finally get to the finishing line. There's a, and I find out you've won, like you have won the race, you know, you won your division of your race. And I knew you were having some headaches and quite bad ones, but Like Susie, she's invincible. I mean, literally, you are standing on the podium and I'm, you know, with some of your friends and your family, like celebrating your victory. And then very shortly after that, you were diagnosed with this very, very serious tumour that, I mean, the diagnosis is horrific and most people can't even talk or walk. It just blew everybody's mind off and I can only imagine (laughs) What it did to you internally?
1: Oh thanks for that great memory. I was just smiling through that, remembering that day so clearly, yeah, I don't I don't want anyone to think that they have a tumor right now because they have a headache, right? Like that's
0: you know, right right.
1: I had other symptoms mm-hmm. too. I had I had sort of electric pain, nerve pain down my arms. I had a tongue that would stop working sometimes. But what happened to me, unfortunately, is that I had some MRIs and did some tests. I had some MRIs, you know, magnetic resonance imaging to check what was going on. And unfortunately, they missed it. So it grew, as you said, aggressively and very quickly. And it was only on a second round that they caught it. So... Yes, it was crazy. The doctors were shocked that I could run or walk or talk. But that doesn't give you a lot of confidence for what's to come when you hear that. So the battle for me really began there, which was, okay, so now I'm going to slowly lose my ability to swallow and speak and taste and then walk, and running is off the table. And I think what really happened for me then was it was so imminent and so big that I had to kind of change my strategy of doing everything on my own. And we had to immediately reach out for help from our friends like you guys. And that made all the difference in the world. And I really believe that that's what saved my life because obviously I'm here.
0: Why are you here? Like just from a just quickly and from a scientific point of view. I mean, what happened? What did medicine do, I guess, to allow you to be here? And then way more not more importantly than that, but then separately to that, like what have you done to ensure that you're still here? Right.
1: I am indebted to modern medicine. The tumor I actually have, I still have some of this tumor, and it's called a chordoma. It's a skull-based tumor. It's a brain stem tumor. It's so rare that we couldn't find surgeons who were willing to operate on us, on me, until we went to a few cities in the United States and ended up choosing these doctors in Boston. And what they ended up doing was 36 hours of craniotomies and a neck fusion to remove the tumor and also make it so that my neck and head were attached again because the tumor, believe it or not, had eaten away at the peg that was holding on my head. And so now they had to replace that with titanium screws and poles. So that's, that's why I am physically here. At the same time, I believe that what also contributed to a bit of a miracle surgery case was just an unbelievable amount of focus on visualizing me coming out alive and living like an old lady in a bathing suit meant for an old lady, like just like making it all the way through to old age.
0: Wow. And so you you survived the surgery. You're home with your family. But there's still like a, a process, right? Of you don't leave the surgery, and then there's there's ticks, and and you're you're away. I mean, there was there was a process, and I guess the process is ongoing from a from a medical side, but then from a from a personal side, you know. So you're you're at home recovering from this enormous ordeal, you know, surgery on and around sort of your your spinal column as it connects to the back of your head. What's the process, what's the journey that you had to go through to, to get to a point where you could write, mm-hmm. to get to a point where you had your voice in your new self right. off the back of this experience?
1: I think the process was actually thrust upon me in, in that after the surgery, my vocal cords and my tongue were damaged. So I couldn't speak above a whisper. And so I ended up having to write almost everything down to communicate with people. And that lasted several months. And that process of getting quiet and lying still and recovering forced me to both write and process how I was feeling and thinking, but also to really think about this question, which is, we're all going to die. And how is it that you want to live? So I wanted to live... I wanted to write. I knew that that was something that I had a book in me and that if I was going to go to my deathbed, I wanted to go having at least tried writing that book.
0: And how did you cuz the book Fierce Joy is is an extremely, you know, authentic and vulnerable insight to this whole journey and and the hope and the message that that is your voice that you want sort of as as many people as possible to kind of resonate with. But how did you work out in yourself that, you, okay, so you start writing, That's you have a book inside you, but how do you tap into that and go, and this is what I want to write about and this is my mission? Like you helped me to unlock this, what broke my heart the most, and that was going to be my voice. Like how did you do that within yourself?
1: Right. Well, I think I did it backwards at first. So the backwards part was – okay, what has stopped me from writing in the past? Or at least, I mean, I've never stopped writing. I have journals and journals and journals filled with my scribbles. But what prevented me from sharing that with anyone? And what stopped me me and blocked me was, well, they're not going to think it's very good. Or who am I to write about these things when there are all these other beautiful writers out there? And just how am I ever going to make a living at it? So all of these voices saying, you're not good enough. So I had to really kind of talk to those voices and say, well, I don't really care who reads this and what they think of it. I want to write this. So I'm going to choose here how I go forward. And I choose joy over fear and brave over perfect. And that's how I started to write. But then it was still too daunting to write a whole book. I had to think about it in terms of what did I want to tell our children about life and what are, what's those things I wish I had known when I was a young woman. And so I started as letters. And they were letters at first to just our daughter because I, I had been a young woman. And so I thought I could tell her some stories and some advice about things that I wish I had known. And that became the book about what was the story that I had been living and what was the new story that I wanted to create now that I got a second
0: chance. Right. And so everything that you had, like the, the message, the book was, it was already inside of you. It, it didn't need the the medical emergency, the almost near-death experience to bring it out, but it was required to release you from this sort of imposter syndrome and fear of failure and and all of that sort of stuff.
1: Well, that's right. Like, that's the question, and like, how can we get to that really strong sense of brave over perfect or mission or purpose without going to the edge of your life? Yeah, I think about that all the time because that's what I want this book to do. I want people to feel inspired or at least resonate with some of the messages and realize that they can shift and change the way they're living, just calibrate it, just calibrate it slightly more towards love and courage and less Mm. towards striving to impress. And then maybe then we'll actually all be tapping into what you said is already inside us, like this infinite potential.
0: Wow. So, You go through the writing of the book, which is no doubt an experience unto itself, both in terms of like tapping into your authentic voice and then the discipline needed to just sit down and write a book. How did you do that bit as a really busy mum who's also trying to like recover physically from a hugely traumatic physical ordeal?
1: Oh, it's a great question. I think two ways. One, I really... Devoted my morning hours to writing. At first, deep in the darkness, I couldn't sleep, by the way. I slept upright for about six months. So I would basically nap instead of sleep. And I just kept a journal near me as I was awake in the middle of the night and I would write. And then, when that progressed and the healing got a little better, then I would just turn off my phone and not look at email or phone until about 10 in the morning and i wrote often i would write i have nothing to say i feel terrible life sucks and then oh there's a memory of a happy moment and i would i would let that moment lead the way as i got into it i ended up finding that i did best with these 30 minute chunks of time like i would never write for more than 30 minutes cuz to be honest my neck hurt or my head hurt so i would write for 30 minutes i would go lie down or walk around the block and then come back and do 30 minutes. But that kind of discipline of turning off my phone and making it first thing in my day really helped me create a habit of writing the way you brush your teeth or the way you have breakfast and do this thing. And people had been telling me that for years, but this time I really stuck to it. And um, it took me about two and a half years to finish.
0: Wow. Wow. Okay, so now it's done. It's officially launched. You know, it's it's out there in the public domain, you know, people are are reviewing your work. And the work is so authentically you, both in terms of your story and your message. It must be very raw. Like you put it out there in the world and then people respond to it or not respond to it, or respond to it positively or, or respond to it negatively. How are you how are you coping with that?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's great because I'm so happy that I have this indicator of like a measure of, of progress in terms of the work I've been doing just on myself because there is no way I would have put this book out in 2015 and been comfortable with the world seeing, you know, sort of behind the scenes of Susie and behind the scenes of this like accomplished, happy person, was actually an anxious, perfectionist, even depressed person. But all the work I did was in the writing and in the healing of writing about what it felt like to be me, because I thought that others might also have these two different sides, like their outside and their inside, and how they never should really compare, what? what is the wonderful Anne Lamott saying? She says something like, don't ever compare your insides with everybody's outsides.
0: Mm, that's I good. It was
1: important to show people my insides because that's the letter that I was writing to my daughter too, was to say, hey, you may look around and you might want to compare yourself to others, but you got to understand there's a struggle inside <laughs> that is real. And... Nobody ever talks about it. So I want to talk about what goes on in my head and all the struggles and battles I have with fear and with doubt and with not good enough. Okay, so all that is to say that now that it's released into the world, I can laugh and I can feel really good about it because I'm really proud of it. I think it's a good book and I think it's going to help some people and that makes it a lot easier but it's definitely not a perfect book. It's uh, the bravest thing I've ever done.
0: That's so awesome. And and I think you know when you were when you were talking there about external perceptions and the the outer self versus the inner self. I mean, it's tough for people I think to fully understand the gravity of that statement without knowing you. But prior to this, I mean, it was bulletproof Susie. I mean, you were climbing mountains, organizing everyone, getting everyone around, you know, constantly on the go, constantly high energy. You know, if you had a vote of like who's the most bulletproof person in Boulder, Colorado, like I'm pretty sure you would have won the vote. And there was all this stuff going on inside it. So, I just want people out there who don't know you to understand the magnitude of this change because- Obviously, by putting yourself out there so full on, by being accomplished at everything at a high level, at such a perfect level, the, the toll that it took on you was enormous.
1: Well, I think if there had been that vote in Boulder, I think you would have won that vote.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not turn this into a mutual appreciation society.
1: <laughs> do like, I still am competitive. I'm still driven. That hasn't gone away. What's changed is I'm happier. Um, You know, I'm just, I'm less trying to prove that I deserve to be here on this planet. And I'm more just saying, oh my God, I get to be here on this planet. What do I want to do today? What do I want to do right now? And you know what? We'll figure out the money, we'll figure out the childcare, we'll figure it out. And it feels really good Aunt, to live more authentically, to live, you know, like a way that is more in line with who I am. And it makes me actually more effective. I think I'm getting more done in a day and I'm definitely serving the world more. I'm way more involved in giving than I was before.
0: On the stuff that really matters.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm involved in two, especially two charities that are really important to me. Whereas before I was sort of trying to do everything all the time. I narrowed them down and I picked the issue that I thought could really change the world. And to me, that's um, educating girls globally. So now I spend, you know, not a huge chunk of time, but I'm on the board of Maya. It's called Maya, Her Infinite Impact, And it's a school in Latin America that just won a prize for being the top high school in all of the Americas for educating girls by keeping their culture and by striving for excellence. So we're hoping to sort of scale and make this possible for indigenous, rural girls who've never had the chance to go to school to have an excellent education. And now I think, like, we can change the game if we educate girls, and so that's where I'm putting my time and energy, rather than trying to hide all these things about me that I was trying to like make sure nobody saw.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And so, with the book now that it's out there, how do you protect yourself from the status quo measures of success affecting you? Right. So let's let's say the book doesn't sell a, a copy, or, or let's say that let's let's say that it, it doesn't achieve uh, terrific publishing success or let's say the opposite where it just goes kind of ballistic like how do you protect yourself from that stuff that's now completely out of your control
1: ah such a great question because you've hit me right in that right like this is week one yeah and the first (laughs) the first week of a book is really important to a new author everybody's measuring your book sales and your reviews and your rankings and it was very easy for me on book launch day to slip into this what i call kind of a fear place of i didn't do enough i didn't promote enough and the publisher didn't do enough and the book is going to fail and and also was it just a big selfish self absorbed mission to write it in the first place you know those are the mm-hmm. thoughts i have and so i don't think i'm avoiding them i think i'm processing them i'm listening to them watching them and then i'm also getting right back at it like well now what do i want to write what do i feel like doing right now and that's helping me protect from the outside world telling me whether i'm good enough or not by i'm just i'm going to do what feels healing and really good to me which is right so getting right back into it is one way and then the other way is that just processing those thoughts and remembering that they're just that they're just thoughts and how this book does is totally out of my control.
0: That's awesome. So healthy. I mean, I can appreciate that's easier said than done, but so healthy. Okay. So tell me about the book, what's in it, what you hope readers take out of it, and then where can they get it?
1: Okay. Well, let's start with the important sales message that you can get it really anywhere that you know, your favorite bookseller, you might have, you'll have to order it because there are too many of us out there right now writing memoirs and so they can't keep them all on their shelves. But if you order Fierce Joy, they should have it in a couple of days or you can get it on Amazon or any of the online providers that you normally get. And, and there is a Kindle version and an ebook version and an audio book as well as the actual book. So that's one. Two, what is the book really about and what am I after? You know, I think what I, to almost answer my own question about what breaks my heart, to me, it's all of these high achieving, brilliant, super smart people. I was going to say women, but it's more than women. It's really just human beings who are holding themselves back because of doubt and fear. And it, it broke my heart that like there was already enough external barriers on on me as a as a woman and on my daughter and on my son in this high pressure world. There's enough obstacles that we don't need to be throwing them up ourselves in our minds with a really strong inner critic. So this book is meant to almost be part memoir, part manifesto against extra suffering (laughs) and against extra criticism and judging of ourselves and others and meant to really celebrate that we are more powerful than we think. We're so powerful we can bring ourselves back from the edge of death. I believe that. And we're so powerful that we don't need to worry anymore about how people are going to receive us. This is our one shot and let's just do it our way. And innovate
0: and iterate and see what happens. I love it. And it probably doesn't need to be said, but podcast host gets author on podcast, promotes book, whatever's in it for podcast hosts, like whatever that skepticism is you know that commercial model whatever that is like this is so 180 degrees on that you know I can't wait for my daughters particularly my oldest daughters to, to read this book you know and and uh you know it's it's powerful to Sarah my wife and I because obviously we know the story we've kind of been in it through some from an external point of view obviously but yeah it's a powerful powerful story and I think I think a lot of people can take something from it. And um, thank you for sharing it, Susie. It's awesome.
1: Uh, and I hope you find yourself in the pages and you and Sarah and the girls are everywhere in there, you know, helping, helping us through a challenge. And I think, I think that's ultimately the thing. I think I had to sort of, before I thought I had to do everything alone. And now I realize that it's way more fun to do it with others and the only way to do it with others is if you're vulnerable and if you're authentic. So, let's practice those muscles before any big medical crisis occurs. So, thank you so much, Aunt, for having me on here and for yeah, just just supporting me all the way.
0: Thank you. I couldn't think of a better way to finish. Thank you, Susie. Well, that's a wrap for today everyone i sincerely appreciate your time i'd love to hear your feedback and get your reviews if there's anyone who you think i should be interviewing send me their details and i'll reach out and please share this with anyone in your life who you think might connect with what we're all about here at the antitoxin have fun out there today and try not to take life too seriously